Hello, Bacon TV listeners. Welcome back. What a pleasure it was to spend time in the company of Kevin Phillips, or Super Kevin Phillips, as you may well know him. You're about to hear Kevin skillfully deconstruct the formidable Sunderland team with him and Niall Quinn at its apex. Listen out for Nicky Summerby's crossing, Alan Johnson's trickery, Peter Reid's man management, Monday afternoons in the pub, and how it all led to Kevin and Mickey Gray getting England call-ups while still playing in the Championship. If all of this ain't enough, you can listen to the full 90 minutes of Kev Phillips straight away by becoming a big interview socio at patreon.com forward slash Graham Hunter. That's P-A-T-R-E-O-N dot com forward slash Graham Hunter. You'll be so welcome there. Sign up now and you'll also unlock exclusive interviews, and they're good, with Raphael van der Vaart, Ledley King and Robbie Keane. Every month, the deal gets sweeter. Join us. I have to um, ask you a little bit about, rather than just saying about you and Niall and the enjoyment you had there, but what was the process at Sunderland? Because I think a lot of people have got the, the mental picture a little bit wrong retrospectively. It was nowhere near a long ball team. I, I think you fed well off wides. Yeah. But let's say in those glorious seasons getting promoted in that first season, seventh um, at Sunderland, when the ball is at the back, was there a team system of you kind of know you know, ball dance and it will go from here, it'll go from here. Peter and Bobby had certain rules and yeah. everybody knew the moving parts. Or was it just like, if you give it to, to Niall and Kevin, they'll sort it out, you know? No, it wasn't. I think everyone, you know, I've got that perception of, you know, just whack it up to Quinn, he'll flick it on and I'll run on and score. And there was many games when that did happen, but, you know, we had a lot more to our game than that. You know, we had two wingers in Nicky Summerby and Alan Johnson. Nicky Summerby, for me, was one of the best crossers I've ever seen. Really? And I trained with David Beckham and played with him in England. And David, you know, don't by far was the best crosser of the ball I ever. But Nicky Summerby wasn't a million miles away from him. And what Nicky had the art of doing was he didn't have to take a fullback on to get the ball in the box. If you stood off him a yard, he would whip it in between the fullback or the centre half. If you cut that one off and showed him outside, he had the ability of just knocking it sideways and then whipping his foot round the back of the defence. It was just, it was for me and Quinny, it was, it was amazing to play. He very rarely really got to the byline like an old winger would and then clip it up to come in. That never really happened. It feels yeah. like that's very underappreciated. Oh, oh, well, we appreciate it. And, and for now, whenever I do, you know, that's why I talk about it. And whenever I go to Sunderland and talk about Sunderland players, I always say Nicky Summerby, for me, was one of the best crosses of the balls I, I've seen. And this interests me now then, who's the boss in this relationship? Do you say to him, or to Alan, Nicky, this is how and when I want it, or do they give it as they can and you learn the latter? Yeah, the latter for me. Why? Um, Because I could read his body language about when he was, you know, because we work together so closely, we'll have that relationship on the training ground. I can tell when he's going to deliver the ball and there's no point me going early because the way he delivers a ball, I'll end up offside. I know that he put so much whip and curl on it that I can... You can hold your run I just a little bit and you're, you're going like, to be coming onto it. And like we said earlier, then, then my process comes in, right, how do I beat my defender? Now it is movement, get out of his eye line 
So when he has a little look, then he looks back. Hopefully that ball's coming in, then bang, I'm in, I'm in behind him. Do you know when you say it like that? It's even well, it seems simple. No, but even listen to it. Do you know what? Not simple, it sounds sweet. Yeah, well, it's, it, you know, it's... It, when you get the works. mechanics of anything, of course, it's like why engineering's good. If you open anything up and show how it works, it looks all the more beautiful. Yeah, yeah. yeah. A colleague of yours um, from those days, Kev Coban. Yeah, truly, yeah. He said, um, Kevin, the best finisher cutting in from the inside left channel... On the training ground, it used to be 10 from 10 from that area, outside the area. Incredible at finding the corner with precision and power. Well, I think, it, you know, it's nice words from Kev and, you know, he was fantastic for us. But it was like what I said earlier, you know, my thought process about the Jimmy Greaves thing. The Jimmy Greaves, pass it into the net, pass it into the net. And, you know, I, in training, that's all I ever tried to do. I very rarely smashed it. And, you know, the, as I say, good practice. Good habits, you take it into the game. Was Niall made for you, or did you... You both said individually that you didn't actually work phenomenally hard at choreographing it, but it has to be a product of mutual intelligence. Yeah, of course. It's, you know, Niall's an intelligent guy, and, you know, you, you don't go on to do what he's done unless you've got some intelligence about you. First and foremost, what a footballer he was. Mm. You know, with his feet, his intelligence, his, his ability to hang in the air and look why he was in the air to see where I was, and then focus on the ball again. And then it was, it was just <laughs> quite remarkable. You've just done a really good impersonation of him there. It, it and was. And it's funny it how like, you, you moved your neck, and it's yeah. kind of like assessing everything around. It was. And, it, you know, Peter Crouch has had the similar thing when I had, I had a season with Peter at Southampton, and he, for me, was equally as good with his feet and in the air as well. He had that ability Wonderful to football. jump, yeah, have a look, and then where's, where's my partner? And nod it. It was just something that they were, their gift that they had. Um, so yeah, we were made for each other, and it was it made it all all the more easier for me to work off Big Noel because you know I, he knew where I was running and, and he was able to put the ball where I was running. Without telling tales, to what extent is it because that, that squad had the right good social life? Yeah. Peter Reid likes a night out. That's first putting time it mildly. I, <laughs> I was deliberately putting it quite mildly. The first time I ever met him, he was playing on the sly. He was at Everton, somebody at Marbella, some Serbian just bought Marbella football club. And him and Kerry Dixon and we... Is it Terry Phelan who used to play at Wimbledon in Man City? Yeah, yeah, yeah. They came down and played as unregistered guests right. for Marbella against Crystal Palace. Right. And uh, <clears throat> we sort of tagged along a little bit. My mate and I, we were in Marbella at the time, end of season, May, June. And uh, we saw the first time we saw what a proper Premier League night out was yeah, like. And yeah. did, you, did you live in an area where it was quite forgiving that if the team was playing well, you can get out yeah. as a group... Yeah. And do the kind of things that, yeah. you know, that, that phrase about a team that drinks together, stays together, plays together, all that kind of stuff. That, that's true of that era. Yeah, 100%. You know, we had it in abundance. Um, certainly wouldn't recommend it now, of course. But that was an era when, you know, Peter, for me, when people say, I played under 20, 21 managers. That's all. And people say, you know, who's the best manager you've ever had. And it's quite easy to say Peter E because that was the best time of my career. But... He really was. You know, in terms of tactics and that, it, it wasn't his strongest point. That was more Bobby Saxton. He knew the game, don't get me wrong. Yeah, of course he did. But yeah. his man management skills were yeah. excellent. Which uh, you'd pay a million bucks for oh, if you yeah. can get that in any dressing room, man 100%. management. Yeah, 100%. It's more about that nowadays than ever. But then, you know, he had the art of dealing with problems, getting the best out of players, and giving the lads that leeway to go and enjoy himself. But he had that command and that respect that the players wouldn't take the piss so and, and we respected that but one of the biggest things were you know you, you can play hard but if you don't work hard then we've got an issue with you 
So what? he demanded it on the training ground, he demanded it in games. And if he did that, he had no issues with you enjoying yourselves off the pitch. What were the rules on the night out? What, what were the Phoenix Knights? Did the Phoenix Knights... Yeah, the Phoenix Knights was a, was a pub we used to go to. The, the rule was no one was allowed to leave until Reedy left. <laughs> <laughs> that, and that was it. And so you clear rules. <laughs> clear rule. There was no rules, but no one goes to bed before Peter does. Um, but it was, yeah, he, he, he was great. In Phoenix, we always used to go out. We always used to go out as a team, which was great. We'd go out, on, if we'd had a good win on, well, no matter even if we'd won or yeah, lost, we'd be out Because you can get rid of a bad result. Yeah, we'd get out Saturday night. And yeah, for the first hour, you'd be talking about the game and this and that. And then after that, you'd forget about it. Then we used to go to a place called O'Neill's in Durham, an Irish bar that we knew the landlord really well. And there'd be a hardcore group of us. I wouldn't say everyone did it, because we had a few foreign players in the team at that time. Yeah, which is fair enough. And then, you know, you would get Monday, come training Monday, a few lads a little bit worse <laughs> for wear, but we'd still put a shift in. Yeah, yeah. And then walking off the training ground, we had Alex Ray at the time, who, you know, bless him, one of my best friends in football, okay, was having okay. his own problems at the time with the yeah. Which you probably uh, know which Alex anyway. I, 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 do, I know that he's really, really made a, a he's made oh, his choices incredible. in life and, and sorted it out. And now, yeah, I amazing. admire him hugely. Yeah, amazing now. Brilliant, um, absolutely brilliant. But it, it would be walking off and go, right, who's uh, anyone fancy the Shakespeare this afternoon? Now, this was an old pub in Durham. And you'd get, yeah, I might have an hour. I might have an hour. Before you know it, there's about 12 of us going to the pub Monday afternoon and you think, what are we doing? But it was just what we had at the time. But we were, you know, we were working hard. So we went out, I wouldn't say we played mega hard, but we, we, we enjoyed ourselves. You know, I, I, I know what you're saying now, and I would be hypocritical if I didn't say that in the modern era. You can see why that's got to be oh, edged yeah, up. Yeah. But presumably one of the things, well, certainly one of the things that we've learned most in these interviews is that the, the, the camaraderie, some of the, one of the things you, you miss about football most is the humour and the digging and, yeah. the, and really noising each other up or I suppose just the laughs that you have. And yeah. you have that in the dressing room anyway because you have to be quick to survive in the pranks. But also, if you transfer that out and draw it out for another few hours in the pub, then it, it is a bonding thing. And I know this guy will be there for me because we've shared X, yeah. no? Yeah. Oh, definitely, yeah, definitely. It's, you know, you get to know... It's, it's famous, isn't it? You get to know people better when you have a drink. Socially, you go out, you have a drink, you relax a bit more. You, you ask... You ask probably more personal questions when you're out and you've had a drink than you would in the dressing room. So you ask them a bit more about their lifestyle, the, the, you know, the way they were brought up, about their parents, this and that. So you know a bit more about the player than you know more about me. Mm-hmm. And ultimately, that, that helps. Yeah. You know, nowadays, I see you know, one player, you can guarantee, even in our dressing room, one player probably won't even know if he's got a brother or sister. Yeah. You know, it, it's, that's just the way we, football's gone, and, and whether it's right or wrong. But then it, it was what worked for us. You know, we were comfortable doing it. Is there a thing in dressing rooms where, irrespective of just about your personality, asking things like that, you, players are worried to. There was a nice anecdote from Chris Waddle way back when he's the second most expensive player ever. He goes to Marseille and he's been told to drive in with a Brazilian every day and they can't speak each other languages and yeah. gradually they just go and one of them goes, Gordon Banks, and he goes, Pelé. <laughs> and all the trip is only great, Brazilians yeah. are great. Yeah. And at six, seven months in, when Chris has become adored and he's successful one of the French guys leans over and says listen there's a dinner next week and Chris goes I've been here seven months and you've not spoken to me in English what, what? and I've been stuck yeah. why not he said I was embarrassed that yeah. thing about being embarrassed like that thing about knowing if you've got a brother or sister mm, or a yeah, personal yeah. problem yeah. in addressing them 
I don't think the atmosphere is they ask things like that. You, you don't show any weaknesses. You, people are sometimes quiet because they're scared of being picked yeah, on, no? Yeah. yeah, definitely. I was totally changed. Totally changed. And, and, and back then, nobody had any issues. You know, someone, someone, you, 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 everyone knew everything about everyone. Really? And the banter, sometimes it got a bit near the mark. Sometimes it would come to blows. But what I liked about that, it got dealt with in the dressing room. You know, it didn't get... Unfortunately, we live in an era now with the social media. We didn't have it then, but you know, it was dealt. Lock the door, and men were men. You know, you deal with it there. If it was, if it was fisty cuffs, which I saw many times, mm-hmm. you know, you just get on with it. And as soon as that door opened, the air is clear, and you crack on. You get on with it. So it's, um, it's totally. It's, it's true, isn't it? But it's risky. It's. It well, it is risky. Yeah, it was risky, but um, you can know, you, it's, can it still exist exactly the same? Do you think? I, I still feel there's a place for locking the dressing room door yeah. and ironing out your problems. Now, I take the Darren Gibson incident last week. You know, that should have been sorted out behind closed doors. Lock Where the he's had critical room. words to say about exactly, players, yeah. but he shared it exactly, after a couple yeah. of drinks with fans. Exactly. And, you know, it's, don't get me wrong, when we were out and about then, yeah, of course, fans would interact with you and you might have your little moan about so-and-so, but you knew you weren't getting recorded. Mm-hmm. But ultimately, it needs to be dealt with in the dressing room and, and perhaps not, a lot, not enough of that's done mm. nowadays. And I think if it was, you know, it would probably be a better place. Jewelry isn't a gift you give just once. It's a way to remind your loved one of a beautiful moment every time they see it. Blue Nile can help you find the gift that says how you feel and says it beautifully with expert guidance and a wide assortment of jewelry of the highest quality at the best price. Go to BlueNile.com and experience the convenience of shopping Blue Nile, the original online jeweler since 1999. That's BlueNile.com to find the perfect jewelry gift for any occasion. BlueNile.com This definitely isn't a social media thing, but I'm making a film right now of my first book with Duncan McMath. He's not okay. listening live, obviously, but he's in Barcelona. And he was in O'Neill's one night and he, uh, in Durham, and he's a mad Tottenham fan. Okay. Now, he alleges that he made conversation with you and you were charm personified and you chatted away and he begged you to come to Tottenham. <laughs> and he reckons you told him that it had been quite close. It had, yeah. True or false? Duncan McMath is your moment. Yes, it was. Um, I actually was on holiday in Dubai with my wife and my first daughter. And I got friendly with Justin Edinburgh, David Kerslake and Colin Calderwood. They were in the same hotel. So they said, come over and join us for a drink. Um, so I'm chatting, you know, having a chat. And they said, oh, we'd love to see you down at Spurs. And I said, well, I said, funny enough, you know, there is a bit of rumours around that I could... He said, right, leave it with us. And John Gorman was in the hotel oh, next door. He was assistant manager to Glenn yeah, Oddle at the yeah. time. So they got John across. And John says, oh, right, is a bit of... He said, I'll get Glenn on. So he got Glenn on the phone. And I spoke to Glenn. And Glenn said, yeah, I'd love to have you at Tottenham. Oh, good choice. Um, so I said, well, you know, I'd, all my family were Tottenham and I was Arsenal. <laughs> uh, my dad was a massive Tottenham fan. Oh, and, I didn't and know that. Yeah, they're all huge Tottenham. My, my uncles now are all Tottenham. They still go... So we had, a, we had a conversation on the phone. I said, yeah, you know, it's, it would be like a dream come true to go and play for a, a club, you know, where my dad supported him. Yeah, very emotional, actually. Mom. I said, yeah, I'd love it. And he said, well, you know, leave it to me and we'll come back to you. Unfortunately, I had to go for, when I came back off my holiday, I was going in for a hernia operation. And Glenn got wind of that because he'd made some, some phone calls. 
And he rung me back and he said, I understand you've got to have a hernia operation. I went, yeah. He said, well, I've spoken to Daniel Levy and he said he ain't going to pay what we probably need to pay for you. And I think I was 28 or 29 at the time. He said, for someone at your age who needs a hernia operation, because hernias back then weren't what they're like now. Things have changed. Things have changed, yeah. So Glenn said to me, listen, he says, I know someone in the south of France that can cure your hernia without an operation. Because Glenn was very much oh, into yes, the I faith do know. healing. Yeah. He said, we'd like to send you. I said, well, Glenn, I can't. I this can't. isn't the water therapy, is I don't, it? I, I don't know. He just said, I know, we know people that can I, cure. I think I know. I think Tony Adams went yeah, there Yeah, so well. he, he, I said, Glenn, I said, it's all well and good. I said, but I'm a Sunderland player. I can't sod off to the south of France and, and have my hernia cured <laughs> by another club. Beyond. I said, it just... I said, if we're going to no. do it, let's do the right process. Yeah. He said, OK, we'll come back. And eventually, because of my hernia, it, 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 it stopped me going from, from Tottenham, which would have been great. But, you know, on the flip side of that, I had a wonderful time at, at Sunderland. And in hindsight, yeah, it would have been lovely play for Tottenham, but my six years there, I couldn't swap it for anything. As soon as you mentioned Glenn, he's indelibly associated with the England job. If I try and pull two themes together and say to you the word Wembley, whether club or country... If Wembley starts the adrenaline and the synapses going, what does Wembley mean to you if you roll it all up into yeah. a ball? Because you've had a full mix of experiences. Yeah. It means um, growing... Oh, I remember watching the FA Cup, as you would have done as a youngster, watching the team bus from 12 o'clock travel, the helicopters above going to Wembley. Um, it got my juices flowing when I was a young kid. Wembley way... The, the finals, watching the finals. I managed to go to a Milk Cup final when I was very young. I can't remember. I think it would have been Arsenal against maybe Liverpool. Charlie Nicholas scoring. Yeah, that was it. I think it was Charlie uh, Nicholas. I don't remember an awful lot about the game because I was young. But I did that, you know, when I first went. And then, believe it or not, my sister played a fair bit of football for Hemel Hempstead Ladies. And she managed to get to a cup final, which was played at Wembley. And thankfully, she's never teased you about it. Right? Well, you know, I, I, I didn't want to go to the game because I was <laughs> gutted that she played at Wembley before me. And she's, she's never let me forget it. Uh, but I went along and watched. Please, and I, can we name your sister? Just out of Karen, point. yeah, Karen. Karen she's, good uh, job. Did, 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 did they win? Oh, God, I can't remember. Let's say yes. Uh, yeah, let's, let's say, say yes. Yeah, don't want to spoil Go on, Hemel. But I just remember a game when I went to Highbury about going up the steps, the Milk Cup final, and then you come up and you see Wembley, the green turf, the crowd. It was just, I just said, I want to play. And this is Twin Towers Wembley, of course. Yeah, the Wembley. Uh, I I, I want to play her at some stage. And I was gutted. I was delighted for her, don't get me wrong, but I was gutted that she'd played there before (laughs) me. And, uh, you know, I couldn't wait to get my opportunity to come play there. But then it has to bring in the, the feelings. Of, the first time I ever saw you, we wouldn't call it Met, but I, I, I remember speaking to you. I remember being, again, like I say, I'm, a, you know, I'm soppy about people's stories in football. I remember in Burnham Beaches, you've been called up for England. That was where the get-together was. Mm. I'm not sure it's where the hotel was, or was it? Yeah, Burnham Beaches, yeah, we stayed okay. there. And we, we go there to the, um, to the get-together, and it was a nice place, and there was a bridge club that we used to listen to all the press conferences really nearby. And you were there, and you, you shouldn't be floating on a cloud of happiness. Mm-hmm. Um, you'd had the, you know, an incident personally with, with your daughter, who was well again, but they'd been out of fright. You're picked by your country. I'm pretty sure you'd just come up from the championship. It was, it was the championship yeah. year, the first division year. Yeah, it's when we got promoted, yes. Sunderland player in there as yeah. well, with Mickey Gray, Mickey who was Gray, also in there. Yeah. So two of you yeah. in there. And I just remember this kind of... You were just beaming. Wow, because it, had a, it was a dream come true. It was a dream come true. Um, 
you know, I was like any other kid growing up in the street. You know, everyone, when you scored a goal, and I remember scoring a goal just against the fence at the back of my house. As soon as I'd scored, I'd go, Gary Lineker, and run off with my hand in the air. Grew up watching, you know, the World Cup where Lineker scores his hat-trick. I remember being allowed to stay up to watch it, laying on the, on the carpet with my hands. In my head, in my hands, watching the TV. Against Poland this yeah, year. Against got Poland, a, yeah, against Poland. You've got a win to go through. That's it, yeah. So, you know, it was... It, it, I just want, I wanted to play for England. First and foremost, I wanted to be a professional footballer. Secondly, I wanted to represent my country. And, you know, luckily I've been able to do both. But you're right, you know, if I hadn't have been floating on air down there, there would have been something wrong with me. So, <laughs> you know, when I did get that phone call, me and Mickey, to say we've been picked, it was just... It was incredible, and, and, and my actual getting picked for England was caught on camera because I was doing a, um, I was doing like a, a camera shoot stroke. Sky were following me for Deodora down on the beachfront at Sunderland. All right. And before I left to go and do it, Reedy said, "Keep your phone on because there might be a shout of you being in the England squad." And I'm like, "Yeah, no chance." <sighs> so while we're doing the interview and the photo shoot, my phone rings. And I said to the guys, listen, I've got to answer this. I said, because it's the gaffer. And they said, yeah, no problem. And they actually f- was filming. They just kept the cameras rolling. Kev, it's Reedy. You've been picked for England. Indeed, well man. done. Absolute delight for you and Mickey. And I, I was just like, I was stunned. I couldn't believe it. You know, the goosebumps had come down me. I was nervous. I was shaking. Um, and I couldn't wait to get home, tell my wife and ring my family. And it was a, it was a surreal moment to say I've actually been picked for my country. One country, two, I'm still a championship player. I mean, Mickey, I think, were the first two to be picked for England out of the championship. So it, it was amazing. And it's Keegan, who presumably you haven't seen so much of as a kid. Because no, you, yeah, not, not, not an awful lot. Obviously, know a lot but about I, him. I, when it happened at the time, because Kevin had been brought in, and as a Scot, um, now, certainly not anti-English, but as a youngster when you're brought up, particularly if England are winning all the time. These weren't particularly popular on my side of the border. Yeah, right. And Kevin would torture us all the time. <laughs> so until you meet them and see his charms, he was difficult to admire as a Scot. But as you meet him and you hear the passion, and then when you see you see his achievements, because he yeah. was an exciting footballer, yeah. powerful footballer, I immediately wondered if he'd seen something of himself in you. Did you see anything like that in him, or did he see anything like that in you? Yeah, he did, and I think there's been a couple of quotes, you know, f- from what he said and from what I've read that he did see, you know, a bit of himself in me, which was a great compliment for me. You're right, you know, he, he was he was fantastic to me, absolutely brilliant, not just to me but to Mickey. But the advice and the the one on one stuff that he give us in terms of staying after training, we're finishing. Staying behind with Shiro in Fowler, you know, just learning off of these guys, and then Kevin giving us a little bit of tuition, talking to us. He he was brilliant, absolutely brilliant, and I can't speak highly enough of him. You know, giving my opportunity to play for in my Hungary, country. didn't it? You start in Hungary, yeah, Hungary. So Went yeah, you know, it was we met at Burnham Beaches, then we travelled out to Hungary, and you know, part of me wish it would have been at Wembley, mm. you know, my my debut, but to pull on that that free line shirt away at Hungary alongside Alan and many other good players was, was a dream come true. We hope you enjoyed that small slice. To hear the full interview, it's time to become a socio. Head to patreon.com forward slash Graham Hunter to instantly unlock this interview plus other big interviews with Rafa van der Vaart, Robbie Keane and Ledley King. Socios also get full weekly episodes of The Big Inside View, 
over 600 of you have signed up to become socios. All this for £2.99, less than the price of a pint or your favourite football mag. <laughs>